Welcome to Third Floor Views, a production of Chesapeake Family Life, where we talk about health, education, and living with kids. I'm your host, Laura Boycourt. Today, we're discussing the Chesapeake Bay and how reducing plastic use can get us closer to a healthier waterway. Joining us is the Chesapeake Bay Foundation's Maryland Senior Scientist, Doug Myers. Thank you so much for being here, Doug. Hi, Laura. Happy to be here. Thank you. Uh, first of all, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what you do at CBF? Sure. Uh, I'm the Maryland Senior Scientist. Um, I have a background in marine biology and environmental science. Those are my two degrees. Um, and I've been uh, kind of doing this kind of work all over the country, both for uh, government agencies and nonprofit organizations. Came to Chesapeake Bay Foundation about 10 years ago. And um, it, the work I do there is, is mostly to review the existing policies, the existing science, and uh, kind of help guide Chesapeake Bay Foundation's advocacy positions for where we need to go in the future. Uh, if there's a new bill that's being uh, uh, introduced in the legislature, I would review that for its scientific underpinnings or lack thereof, mm-hmm. uh, and then make recommendations for amendments or whether we even support the bill or, or not. And then on the off season from the legislature, I uh, get involved in various studies, especially on like oyster reef monitoring, uh, other health of the bay issues, uh, the effects of stormwater and other pollution on, on water quality, that kind of stuff. Wonderful. Thank you. So speaking of pollution, let's dive into it. Plastic is sort of our, our theme of the conversation. I was scrolling through a recent CBF blog post that I think was put out I don't know, a week or two ago, maybe about plastic bags and how detrimental they are to the Bay. And, you know, we know this, this is nothing new, but um, just sort of this sobering, staggering statistic, I think five million or five trillion trillion. bags. Yeah. Trillion with a T are used each year. And, you know, as we've all seen, so many of them end up in our waterway. So I was wondering if you could comment on that as plastic bags relate to the bay bags, what other type of plastics end up in the bay ultimately? Sure. Yeah, I think, um, you know, in in modern society, it's pretty clear to see that uh, plastic water bottles and plastic bags are in, you know, they've saturated the market. And I think there's a reason for that from a business perspective. Plastic is very lightweight and durable, and so you can carry a lot of things around in it. You can ship it much more cheaply than you could glass or aluminum because those are heavier materials. Uh, So from the the purely, you know, uh, business-oriented standpoint of saving money uh, to be able to ship the same amount of units of anything, uh, Mm -hmm. plastic has become in common use. But now we're facing the fact that, okay, after 20 or 30 years of that practice, um, there's an externality. That's what they talk about in, in business circles is the externality of plastic pollution has become a huge problem worldwide. And so, um, you know, bags and bottles in particular, um, because of their, their ubiquitous use in business and in, and in commerce, have just begun to stack up. And, and our ability to recycle those materials uh, over time has really come into question. Um, a lot of the, the people who think they are recycling, uh, they're really not. They're either, uh, those are going to incinerators or they're going to landfills. Or a lot of times they're just being discarded on the landscape and they all end up in the world's oceans, uh, generally through bays like the Chesapeake. Okay. Um, 
Well, so what what types of plastics? We've got the bags, we've got the water bottles, things like straws, uh, polystyrene, although I believe, is it Baltimore that's recently banned polystyrene? Yes. Yeah, the, the styrofoam no. containers that you would uh, do carry out in, those are banned in, in Baltimore, yeah. Wonderful. So microplastics. I know long time ago I did I did an article on citizen science and sampling, you know, bay waters uh, to to measure amounts of microplastics. Can you tell us a little bit about what those are, how they end up um, in the bay? Right. So any any kind of plastic um, that you do recognize, things like a bag or a bottle uh, or straw, as it is uh, subject to sunlight, uh, sunlight tends to degrade. The, the molecules that hold those plastics together and it starts to break up into smaller and smaller pieces. I think we see that most most of the time with styrofoam and it's uh, you know floating around and you can see the actual particles falling apart. Um, but all, all plastics uh, do what they call photodegrade uh, and it doesn't mean it goes away. It just breaks up into smaller and smaller pieces. When that becomes uh, invisible to the human eye, then it becomes microplastics. And it's something you would have to put under the microscope to be able to see. Um, the big issue with microplastics, which all plastics are breaking down into, is that um, if you're a, 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 a juvenile fish, a juvenile crab, a juvenile shrimp, anything that is a, a marine organism usually goes through a planktonic life stage. So it's, it's part of the phytoplankton and part of the zooplankton that are the base of the food web. Well, a microplastic particle is the same size as all of those things. So anything that would be eating anything else in that, that uh, plankton uh, part of the, the food chain is also ingesting those tiny plastic microparticles. Uh, so we, you know, we see a lot of the times in different ad campaigns about, uh, you know, sea turtles or seabirds getting, um, you know, plastic uh, six pack rings around their neck or, you know, eating the plastic bags and they're filling up their stomach. That's kind of like the immediate effect of, of plastic trash floating around in, in the bay and in the ocean. But uh, the, the microplastics, we don't even see it. We don't know they're there. Um, and they are um, basically filling up the stomachs of all of those things that used to eat uh, each other. And, and so what basically happens is the just like we when we eat something, we feel full and we stop eating. So um, when a, a fish larva eats a microplastic particle instead of a, a nutritious a zooplankton or phytoplankton, it, its stomach is, is filled up with those things. We have some... Uh, um, it's pretty good data now where folks have done a stomach analysis of things like oysters and the oysters stomachs have lots of uh, microplastics in them. So whatever nutrition they would have gotten from the phytoplankton that they filter out of the water, that's now being replaced by uh, microplastic particles in their stomach. They feel full. They don't feel like they need to open up their shells and, and continue pumping water. And then they're going to lose weight and eventually die. Geez, so big or small, the, these plastics really have an effect on everything in the food web. So we've kind of covered the, the very small to the large, what, you know, is sort of, you know, invisible to the naked eye versus what we can see. We've touched a little on where it can be found. Just from sort of an infrastructure standpoint, um, I would imagine a lot of it, you know, in aside from just litter that you can see, a lot of it clogs storm drains, um, dams, things like that. Is that something that, that happens commonly? Right, I think a lot of people don't think about the infrastructure that we have that's underground. Um, I, I always you know, like to use the example when I'm talking about microplastics, 
of cigarette butts. You know, it's not uncommon to see somebody pull up to a stop sign and flick their cigarette butt out their window. Cigarette butts are made of 99.9% plastic. And the little paper wrapper that's around it is the only thing that is actually biodegradable. And the, the plastic uh, 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 cigarette butts, the first thing that happens when it rains, it's going to go down the storm drain. And uh, I've worked enough beach cleanups uh, throughout the different places I've worked in my life that the number one uh, uh, object that washes up on beaches by weight is cigarette butts. Wow. And they, they don't really weigh very much. So we're talking about billions or trillions of cigarette butts mm -hmm. that are washing up uh, because people don't understand that when they flick it out the window, it's not just going to go out of their car, it's going to the nearest beach. And so if we think about the way water flows um, through storm drains, when it rains, anything that ends up in the environment not contained um, is going to travel through that stormwater network and get into the bay. Now, what's really coming out recently is that, you know, there's uh, more and more of the world's oceans sediments are containing microplastics. Uh, that's, that's kind of from the, the worldwide perspective, but bays like the Chesapeake that have a fairly enclosed um, uh, oceanographic situation tend to concentrate uh, microplastics and they don't actually export as much to the ocean as uh, like a river that would come right out to the, to the beach like it would in the West Coast. So these, these um, large estuaries like the Chesapeake have a tendency to accumulate more and more and more plastic and don't export much of it to the ocean. So it stays here and it gets more, uh, more entrained into the food web. So it's really an acute problem since there's not sort of that uh, that exodus of a lot of it to, to other you know waterways. So, and I know we've touched on this as we've gone along, but, and again, loaded question, but you know, how does this plastic harm the bay? We're talking about fisheries, other animals that depend on those fish, you know, the, that have the microplastics. Humans are drinking water. Again, loaded question, but sure. can you sort of paint a picture for us about, you know, the, the domino effect of harm? Yeah, so I, you know, I touched on the food web effects, but I really, really didn't talk about, um, you know, what pl plastic as a material is a, a polymer of petroleum. And because of that, uh, those little tiny microplastic particles tend to attract other uh, particles of petroleum. So there's all kinds of uh, you know, chemicals that are in the environment, both from like legacy industrial past activities you know, 40, 50 years ago. Um, and the microplastics have a tendency to uh, bind with those things and, and concentrate them. So at the, what they call the sea surface microlayer, which is right at the, the very top, uh, you know, a couple millimeters of water, that's, that's an area where because of the surface tension of the water, those particles tend to concentrate. And there's all kinds of things that like the plankton that live up there, especially at night, they come up from the bottom and they feed in that, that sea surface microlayer. And then any of the plastics that would fall to the bottom would be incorporated into the sediments. So there's lots of things that process sediments. When we think about blue crabs, um, they're, they're scavengers. They're moving through uh, the sediments. They're eating worms, clams, anything they can find in the mud or in the sand. And so they're processing a lot of those sediment particles through their lungs and through their gills. And that's where they're getting the uptake. So it's not just the plastics themselves and the potential for them to affect the, their fullness and, and them, them causing a loss of weight or any of the organisms that take them in physically, but they also contain some dangerous chemicals that are binding with the, the, um, the microplastics particles 
that can cause you know different diseases. We see uh, you know different cancers and and tumors in fish and invertebrates. We also see um, things like uh, uh, diseases that wouldn't necessarily kill the animal outright, but it might stress them, uh, making other things like temperature or uh, other diseases um, be more affecting. So we have lots of you know question marks when blue crabs or oysters or um, uh, things like striped bass populations go up and down uh, that we really can't explain that they're not necessarily linked to our harvest rates. Um, you know, there's a lot of, of new science coming about that, you know, some of these uh, diseases that would not normally cause population level effects are now um, becoming more uh, effective because of the stress that animals are going through because they're not eating as much uh, because of the plastics mm -hmm. in the stomach and that the plastics that they are ingesting are also uh, creating um, what they call sublethal effects. Uh, they're, they're stressing the fish and the crabs and the, and the shrimp in ways that we, we really don't quite understand yet, but uh, it seems to be a contributing factor. Okay, and speaking of not quite understand, I'm not sure if you can speak to this, but I mean, for, for those of us who enjoy our, you know, crabs from the bay and our, our local seafood, which is, you know, so many of us, I mean, we're, they've got it, so we're ingesting them, we've got it. I don't know what type of data and science is out on microplastics in human bodies, but I, I've got to think that, you know, that's, that's something to keep an eye on. And, you know, we've got to be concerned about that as well. Yeah, it's an emerging uh, field of science. Uh, it's, it's always difficult to know in a human body where we have so many different mechanisms to filter, mm -hmm. uh, not only our food, but our, our bloodstream. And I think so, I have read some studies now that are saying that we have microplastics in our bloodstream because of that. So it's being able to pass through our digestive system the particles are so small that they're being uptaken in our bloodstream and anything that's in our bloodstream that's not supposed to be there is ultimately filtered by our kidneys and our liver so um you know this is one of those things where you know 20 years down the line we may find that you know kidney disease or liver disease uh, is at least partially tied to the fact that microplastics are in our diet so definitely something to watch as we go along. So in terms of the Bay's health, I believe a re recent report card was just published. I yeah. think so. Um, have, have, any, uh, have there been any visible declines or changes um, in the health of the Bay and its wildlife due to plastics? Is there a lot of data on this? No, there really isn't. And that's, that's you know, the mechanism I just described about uh, disease right. being more uh, effective in, in affecting populations. I think that's a a, a new area for study. I think there's a couple uh, universities in the area that are taking a look at that. I think uh, National uh, Science Foundation um, gave a million dollar grant to one of the local universities of, a couple years ago, and they're still in the midst of studying that particular aspect of it. But yeah, a um, lot of lot of unexplained population uh, fluctuations out there in different mm -hmm. species that, that are part of our report. Now we know, you know, things like, um, you know, American shad that are used to uh, go up the rivers in the millions. A lot of that um, uh, decline is because of uh, fish passage barriers in the rivers. Um, you know, we put dams up over the years, they can't get to their spawning grounds and things like that. Wherever we mm -hmm. don't have dams on the river, um, those fish tend to do fairly well, but across the entire watershed, we've lost a lot of access for their spawning grounds. Um, but they also, those same species, do feed on plankton. Um, mm -hmm. and so that could be uh, as much a part of the decline in those populations as the loss of spawning habitat. 
and it's hard to tease apart which effect is more important when, when, when multiple things are affecting the same species. Absolutely, absolutely. So this is such a far-reaching topic if we're talking about our watermen or aquaculture, uh, people out sailing on the bay. I mean, anything, you know, us, us you know, enjoying our local seafood. What can be done? What can be done about this in terms of what an average citizen can do, legislation, anything? I'm not sure where you want to start with that. What's, what's in place? What's being considered, I suppose? So I, I think it's really important for people to model good behavior. And, and once they know something, to, to make conscious choices. Um, you know, I mentioned at the very beginning that uh, you know, businesses and industries use plastic because it's lightweight and it's durable and the shipping costs are less. Um, that is one piece of data that goes into their decision-making. Another piece of data that goes into their decision-making is what did their consumers want? And so if you are aware of the microplastics issue and you're concerned about it, um, making that concern known to any corporation that, you know, packages their stuff in plastic, um, you know, that it's, it sounds like, um, uh, it's just as important or more important than you deciding to not use plastic. So yeah, you can decide, let's use Coca-Cola as an example. It's available in two liter bottles. It's available in, in uh, 20 ounce bottles and it's available in 12 ounce cans. 12 ounce cans are made out of aluminum. It's an element. It's very easily recyclable. Uh, it can be, uh, you know, if you choose to buy one of those 12 packs in a, in a styro, uh, I'm sorry, in a, uh, a cardboard box, the car both the cardboard and the aluminum are recyclable. And they're recyclable in such a way that the, the aluminum's value is still fairly high. And so if it's mixed in with a lot of other things, um, they generally pull the aluminum out because it is so easy to recycle and, and uh, um, there's still a market for that. The plastic bottles... I got to tell you, are in most cases not being recycled. They're either being landfilled or they're being incinerated, uh, causing all kinds of air pollution problems. So uh, that's a single choice that you can make. If you buy sodas, if you if you consume sodas, or you know, it's difficult. I think some water companies are now starting to make water in cardboard boxes and other yep. things. Like that. But the, the container you choose to buy makes a difference because you know not only you know, writing to those companies and asking them to, to use uh, recyclable uh, materials, but the very purchase itself sends a signal. Uh, if, if more and more and more people are refusing to buy Coke in plastic bottles and insisting on buying Coke in cans, that sends a market signal back to Coca-Cola that people prefer cans over bottles. But if you just because the bottle's easy to grab and it's light and you can stick it under your arm. Um, you know, if you, if you um, uh, reinforce the behavior of the, the convenience of plastic, that sends the same market signal to them that, oh, people like plastic, we're gonna continue putting our product in plastic. So it's, it's not as simple as just the, the act of recycling, it's like the act of buying a recyclable product. Um, and, and that's always been the case with recycling. I think because of a lot of our markets uh, for recycling are really low and there's more incineration and landfilling going on is because people have just become a little bit lazy about the, the, the way they, they consume things, the way they get products. 
the the market sends those signals, the the companies respond to that, and then fewer and fewer things are available in recyclable containers. So. Uh, you really can't separate the what you can do with what the, the responsibility the corporation can do. In a, in a capitalist society, those those yeah. are the things that matter. It's where the money goes um, is is where the decisions are going to be made. So the other thing is, if you're really concerned about this, then um, th then I think you do need to engage in the policy discussion. Um, there's generally bag bans uh, and bottle bans and things like that are generally accomplished at the local level. Um, we've tried many times to get uh, a bag ban at the, the state level and every time uh, the industry uh, uh, representatives and lobbyists come and they shut it down. Um, it, never, it never even gets out of committee in most cases, but in, in some local governments where there's been a really good groundswell of grassroots support for a bag ban, they've passed. And so, um, like you mentioned, the styrofoam ban in, in Baltimore City, uh, I think Montgomery County's had a bag ban for, for a number of years, and Baltimore County is now considering one. Wonderful. So a lot of it, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of it is sort of the awareness piece. And then, like you were saying, to your point, the the consumer behaviors and sending those messages, because it's, you can't have one without the other. And it's really, it's really, a lot of it is on, on us to send those messages and to, you know, to have some change happen. Let's see what else. Um, also, I guess purchasing from, you know, CSAs or local farm stands, things like that, more local, local purchases often, not always, but often mean less plastic because you're not, you're not buying those things from the supermarket that are just automatically, you know, in, in bottles or, you know, in the plastic wrap. So um, just any words about that, that you could offer right. about, about sort of those behaviors. Right. So thinking about buying, you know, locally raised food and in a, in a farmer's market, you can go there with your own, you know, paper bag or your own cloth bag and buy it. And because it's coming locally, it doesn't have to be shipped across the country. It doesn't have to consider how heavy it is. And so if you're not considering moving millions of units of something across, you know, many state lines, then the, uh, the, the market forces for uh, putting it in as light a container as possible go away. So yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up. I mean, we we talk about uh, you know local organic uh, agriculture from the the standpoint of its regenerative practices for soil to be able to manage water on the soil better to get better yields to have more carbon sequestration in the soil. All those things that we advocate for in the in the farming space, um, those those apply to this as well because the more of your food that's coming from local sources that doesn't doesn't have to be packaged in plastic then there's, there's a lot less use. Um, there, and that sends its market signal as well. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I think, I think you know, we're really wise to think through all the things we do and uh, how that might back up into uh, the need for plastic. And if we can kind of starve the beast, you know, you know take away all the excuses uh, industries need to put things in plastic, then they won't be doing it as much. Uh, again, it's like, yeah, you can directly write a letter to them. I don't think that will make as much of a difference as them them taking a look at their 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 quarterly returns and seeing, wow, everybody's switching to aluminum all of a sudden. We better start putting more of our stuff in aluminum or glass or something that right, right. recyclable. Or yeah, you know, we're going to have to create local markets. Uh, we're going to have to support. Uh, community-based uh, agriculture, uh, that, that's the policy signal that I think 
um, uh, election uh, elected officials need is like, okay, what what subsidies are out there for corporations to do the uh, the plastic thing, and and how do you send those same political signals back to the decision makers? It's like, okay, with every every investment you make in farmers markets or in um, you know subsidies for uh, regenerative agriculture, then the more of our food supply comes locally and the less we have to deal with this because it's very politically challenging for uh, elected officials to take on the restaurant industry and the, the plastics manufacturing industry. So they can do other things that will uh, you know, accomplish some of the same things without that head on plastic bag ban or bottle ban. Um, they're gonna be willing to listen to that. So I think it's really important for folks again to think through all the ways that um, our everyday society generates plastic waste and then say, hey, if we did this policy, which I support anyway, um, this also has a, a positive effect on the, the plastics issue. Wonderful, thank you for that. And I was gonna ask if you had any any parting words, words of hope, things that, that you know, average citizens can do. I know, you know, the, the behaviors, uh, sending, sending messages um, to industries, um, obviously. And then I know clean the Bay Days, you know, opportunities right. to roll up our sleeves and just yeah. physically remove that plastic. I mean, it might seem small, but you know, if we all sort of pitch in, I'm sure that can make at least a small, a small dent in the problem. I think it's important in, in, in more than one way. I think, yes, anytime plastic does get out into the environment, it needs to be collected um, so that it does not continue to recruit itself into the bay, into the rivers, into the ocean. But those events are also very public. And those events also uh, create more awareness among the general public as they're publicized. Um, we generally get very good publicity for our Clean the Bay Day that we do in Virginia. Um, and because of that, there's more and more people covering more and more miles of shoreline every year. And that also uh, becomes like a political uh, uh, calculus too, because who, you know, who's going to go out there and say that bay cleanups are a terrible idea? <laughs> um, you know, so uh, it, it then you know, then the politicians want to show up at that event and get their picture taken with the local Girl Scout group, you know, doing that cleanup on that particular beach. Um, that suddenly puts them in a box where, okay, we can now work with that elected official on more, more policy stuff because they've now been seen caring about this issue and, um, you know, asking them to put their money where their mouth is. They, they get a certain amount of political clout from showing up an event like that um, with the environmental community. Okay, so we're gonna ask you for step number two, um, support a plastic bag ban in your in your jurisdiction. So I think those events are great. And, and, and the more participation we have in them, the more uh, visibility the issue gets, um, the more actual plastic gets removed from the environment and the more we change the conversation about it. Some wonderful data. Thank you so much to Doug Myers uh, with the Chesapeake Bay Foundation for being here to, to share his expertise about plastic and about what we can do to help save the bay. And thank you to all of our viewers and listeners as well. Make sure you visit ChesapeakeFamily.com for up-to-date local information on home, health, and living for today's Maryland parent. This episode will be archived on ChesapeakeFamily.com in video and podcast format. I'm Laura Boycourt with Chesapeake Family Life and Third Floor Views. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Laura.